Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. And today I want to talk about the 2021 Cubs draft. Most people like to, when it comes to a baseball draft, blab a bit as names are being selected, then largely forget for the next four or five or six years, and then maybe 10 years after the draft, look back and say, oh, how could they have made such a stupid selection because that guy was terrible? That guy was terrible. He was just absolutely terrible. Well, truth be told, if somebody is, quote-unquote, absolutely terrible, and some people have used that term when talking about, for instance, Albert Almora, he made it to the major leagues. Ian Happ has made it to the major leagues. Ian Happ had three good years in a row at the major league level. Ten million value on fan graphs. For years in a row. This year, he's not doing very well. But when it comes to a draft, it's about assessing how much space you have to draft players. And where you're drafting. And then go out and come up with the best plan available for Selecting your players. The Cubs had a specific amount. Let's see, was it five, six, seven? Cubs were in the seven and a half million range, somewhere around there. I, I, I'm just looking at it. That looks like about what it is. Seven and a half million, and they were drafting 21st every round. 21st every round. No bonus picks. No picks uh, taken away, which would happen if they had gone out and gotten some um, big money free agents, then they lose draft picks. So, Cubs drafting 21st, $7.5 million or so. The Cubs did some somewhat interesting things. And they had a strategy. They had a strategy and... If you look at certain aspects of the strategy with too tight of a tight of an angle from a microscope, they don't look right. They don't look right. They don't look right. But the key to the entire thing is the Cubs had a certain amount of money that they could spend certain amount of money that they could spend and with that certain amount of money that they could spend they wanted to get the best players possible so what was the cubs plan for using their money to get the best players possible for a lot of people the Slotting system is objectionable. I don't particularly like the slotting system, but what used to happen was 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, 
teams could spend whatever they wanted on draft picks. They could spend whatever they wanted. Want to spend $3 million? Do it. Want to spend $8 million? Do it. Want to spend $8, $15 million? Do it. But eventually what happened was enough teams started to realize, hey, that guy over there, that guy over there is spending too much on the draft. I'm not the fault. I'm not the person who's messing everything up. That person over there and that other team over there, those teams over there are spending too much on the draft. I don't want to have to compete with them. So let's create rules so teams can't spend all that much money on the draft. And eventually that's what ended up happening. And over a course of another a number of false steps, teams now are told exactly how much they can spend in the draft. And it's not the same for each team. If you have a really crappy record, you get to spend more money on draft picks. If you have a bad season, you get to spend more on draft picks. If the Chicago Cubs have a bad 2022, they will get to spend more money. No, if they have a bad 2021, they get to spend more money on draft picks in 2022. Does that seem right? Does that seem proper? Does that seem appropriate? No, probably not to a normal logical person. But for a baseball owner, a baseball owner wants to know that no matter how incompetent they are at their job, they have a chance at success. So if they get into a situation where they have three or four absolutely terrible seasons in a row, as long as they keep their revenues down, don't do anything aggressive or foolish or try to, you know, alter what people are doing. Eventually, those draft picks will presumably come up to the major leagues, be useful, and they will be able to be successful. So each year, a team has a certain amount of money that they can spend on draft picks. And they can spend it however they want, as long as they don't go over said limits. They go over said limits too far, they end up losing draft picks next season, and nobody wants to do that. So what the Cubs did, they realized they had, like I say, seven seven and change million. Looking at it, five, six, six and change, seven and change. I don't know what the number is. That doesn't specifically matter all that much. But they knew from talking to the players that they were possibly interested in drafting. When Jordan Wicks came up on the board, he was the guy they wanted. He was top 10 on their list, whether he was top 10 on everybody else's list or not, I don't know. But he was top 10 on the Cubs list. The Cubs bought very heavily on Jordan Wicks. I'm good with it. He's not a fascinating pick. But as a left-handed starting pitcher, if he figures it out, he certainly could live up to his 3.132300 signing bonus. Very possible. Very possible. He got the slotted amount. Completely good with that. What probably came up, what probably happened. 
Once the picks got to 19, the Cubs probably contacted Jordan Wick's agent and said, I don't know if you're getting any calls from anyone else, but we're kind of interested in signing Jordan Wicks. Would he be interested in signing for the slotted amount of 3.132,300? And since he signed for 3.132,300, the answer was probably yes. So Jordan Wicks was a rather easy sign for the Cubs. Now, since the Cubs know they're drafting toward the bottom of every round, at some point they wanted to get one or two Upside picks. Buy an upside pick if a team drafts someone out of high school. The team has the extra year to develop the player before they are Rule 5 eligible. And a lot of players who haven't yet gone to college have more upside than players who have gone to college. Players who have gone to college, you've seen them against the schools that they're playing against, you know their strengths, you know some of their weaknesses, you have some things, okay, maybe we can develop this, maybe we can develop that, and, um, what the hell just happened? Oh, okay, I'm still live, I'm sorry, my computer confused me. So, uh, the Cubs decided to take their two gambles in rounds two and three. James Triantos is a, was a high school selection, an infielder, and he received well over the slotted amount that the Cubs were permitted to spend. Now, they can spend however they want on whoever they want as long as they don't go over entirely. In the third round... Drew Gray, a left-handed starting pitcher from Florida, I think. I'm not remembering right now. Um, So between Wicks, Triantos, and Gray, the Cubs used almost all of their slotted money on those three guys. So what that meant was to be at or under the punishment level, they were going to have to make some lower cost investments later in the draft. (coughs) Fourth round pick, Christian Franklin, who I completely, completely dig, also got the, in the range of the slotted amount. Four six four five hundred, he got four twenty five, so he was slightly, slightly, slightly under. <coughs> Liam Spence, a senior shortstop from Tennessee and Knoxville, three hundred um, three hundred forty three four was the slotted amount. He got one hundred thirty five. So again, a little bit below in the 
three, four, five, sixth round. Riley Martin's slotted amount was $263,700. That was his slotted amount. If the Cubs gave him the slotted amount, that's what he would have gotten for a signing bonus. But since the Cubs knew they were spending slot on Jordan Wicks, they were probably going to go over slot on James Triantos. They were going to go over slot on Drew Gray. At some point, they were going to have to make some selections that were going to be well under the slotted amount. Riley Martin's signing bonus was $1,000. And some people have gone off, how can they possibly do that? How can a person live on, how can that, that? With the baseball draft, you have a certain amount. It's not you're being cheap. It's not you're being stingy. It's not you're being... The Cubs were only allowed to spend a certain amount of money. If you're going to go over the top on Triantos and Gray, which they chose to, and they went well over, and they paid break-even on Jordan Wicks, they were going to have to cut back on some other players. Riley Martin, two sixty three seven hundred slotted amount. He signed for one thousand dollars. Eighth rounder Casey Opitz, one sixty eight five hundred. A catcher who I absolutely love out of Arkansas, signed for ninety thousand dollars. Tenth rounder Peter Matt from Duke, one forty three nine hundred signing bonus um, slotted value, signed for five thousand dollars. The Cubs had to do that. They had to call up Riley Martin's agent and say, we're willing to draft Riley Martin in the sixth round if he's willing to sign for $1,000. If he's willing to do that, we're willing to sign him. Is he willing to do that? And he said yes. So they drafted him and they signed him. It's not that they hate Riley Martin. It's not that they're trying to sabotage his future. Baseball teams are only allowed to spend a certain amount of money in the draft. Internationally, there are limits. There are limits largely because smaller market teams who don't specifically want to spend a whole lot in the draft. Or perfectly reasonably sized market teams who don't want to spend a whole lot in the draft really don't want to have to compete with owners who want to spend more. So let's say the Cubs were allowed to spend whatever they wanted on the draft with no punishment. Would they have done it differently? Should they have done it differently? Could they have done it differently? Probably so. Now one thing that I'd like to see is let's take a step back. The first team to draft, the first team to select in the draft, gets to choose whichever player they want. 
And they're probably doing a whole bunch of negotiations as time goes by as far as, well, we're thinking about drafting you first. We really are. But we don't want to pay you the slotted amount because we want to be able to extend our money into the second and third and fourth rounds. So what we're more interested in doing is finding a player who's really good but is willing to sign at significantly less than the slotted amount. It's what teams do. It's what smart teams do. If there were a team who walks into a draft and decides, I'm going to pay every single darn player the slotted amount and not jiggle the finances at all, that would be absolutely stupid. That would be absolutely stupid. It would probably be pretty popular with some people, but it would be absolutely stupid because... Not every specific player ought to be being signed for their slotted amount. And sometimes you want to take a chance on a high school player like a Triantos or a Gray and see how it ends up playing out. The Cubs were not being evil ogres of capitalism when they only offered Riley Martin a $1,000 signing bonus. They offered Riley Martin a $1,000 signing bonus because they needed to cut back somewhere. Wicks got the slotted amount. Gray went over. Triantos went over. They needed to cut back somewhere. Riley Martin and Peter Matt were two of those significant cutbacks. And pretty much everybody after the fourth pick was getting less than the slotted amount. Because what the Cubs realized, if they were going to take their two big chances with Triantos and Gray, and hopefully they play out well, hopefully they do, I'm completely unfamiliar with them. I, I haven't seen them play in a game. I haven't heard them play in a game until they start playing in games and I start to get a feel for... Honestly, I'm not going to get a feel for either one of them until they're in Myrtle Beach. Will that be 2022? Will that be 2023? I have no idea, but I certainly learn a lot more about players when I have an announcer telling me stuff about them. Like when I hear Tyler Schleifer's name is pronounced Schleifer, not Schlaffer. Now I can start helping people because I'm starting to hear how the player's name is pronounced. Um, the Cubs were not being evil when they offered Peter Matt a $5,000 signing bonus or Riley Martin a $1,000 signing bonus. The goal in a draft is to maximize the return that will be obtained from said draft. If the Cubs can get from the entire draft class, let's say 15 wins above, that would be Fantastic. 15 wins above would be fantastic on a seven thousand on a, about a seven million dollar investment. Spend seven million, get 15 wins above. That I'm good with. I just gave that a thumbs up. You don't get that in free agency. Free agency, you go out and you sign a relief pitcher to a $6 million deal and 
goes out and he lays an egg and he's got an ERA of six and a half two months in and you release him. Then he goes to the Cardinals and he's good with the Cardinals and you're paying the Cardinals to have him kick your butt. That's what other people like to pay attention to. Free veteran free agent signing. I like the minor league. The, I, I like the draft picks. Jordan Wicks. $3 million signing bonus. That's good money. That's good money. I hope he's putting a bunch of it away. Seems like he has a good support group. Um, sounds like he has a nice slider. If 3.132300, if he gets to the major leagues and is somewhat productive, that will pay off rather quickly. Triantos, Gray, both are preps. Very possible that either or both completely wash out. Hopefully they don't. Developing the players from the draft through the pipeline is how continuous competitiveness happens. For instance, if Christian Franklin, he's got swing and miss in his game. I know that. Perhaps you know that. SEC coaches knew that. He's got swing and miss in his game, but if he's connecting, he can be dangerous. So, get Christian Franklin with the hitting coaches in Mesa, Rachel Folden, Justin Stone. Figure out where he is. Figure out who is better at teaching him what he needs to know. Figure out who he has a better rapport with. Get him to realize, okay, everything that you did in college, fine, well, good, and fantastic. Now what we need you to do is learn the strike zone. Learn the strike zone better. If it's the pitch you can hit, beat the hell out of it. If it's a pitch you can't do anything with, let it go. And if he can get taught that, then he should be rather effective at the lower levels of the minor leagues. And then it's about adjusting to the pitchers that he's facing that are better than him. The pitchers that are facing him that are worse than him will adjust back. And it's a teeter-totter. Does Christian Franklin figure out low A ball? Does Christian Franklin figure out high A ball? Does Christian Franklin figure out double A ball? You know it's coming next, right? You know it's coming next, right? Figure out triple A ball. I don't know if he's going to figure out triple A ball. How can I know if he's going to figure out triple A ball when he hasn't played a pro game? I don't know. I'm not going to throw... I'm not going to say if he's going to figure out double A ball or triple A ball if he hasn't played a game yet. I have no idea. My crystal ball, I, I don't have a crystal ball. And even if I did, it would it'd probably be broken. Developing the draft, developing the draft class is absolutely essential for a team. I'm looking at the 20 names. Two of them have said they are going to college. They are not signing with the Cubs. So that means it's down to an 18-person list, effectively. It might end up being only 15 or 16 guys on the list that are playing pro ball. 
The Cubs don't need all 15 to cash. The Cubs don't need all 15 of the players to cash for it to be a successful pipeline. It, uh, successful for the pipeline. If 11 of them are useful at the full season ball level, that is fantastic. If nine of them are effective at the advanced A level, that's fantastic. If five of them are good at the AAA level, that is fantastic. It's not going to be all of them. It doesn't have to be all of them. People who are anti-minor leaguers have this bent perverse thing that, well, you can't know this or that because you have Nobody knew what Jason Hayward was going to do with the Cubs, but the Cubs gave him a bunch of money anyway. There is no pre-knowledge of what somebody's going to do. Players selected in a draft, when a team is limited to how much they can spend in a draft, coming up with a strategy, getting the strategy to work, and getting damage from those players. That is how constant success happens in baseball. It's not from, well, that didn't work, so let's go out and sign some more big money free agents for six-year deals that are guaranteed. That's not how you're going to win. The Cubs are going to win or not win. To an extent, based on, are you going to hear the names Jordan Wicks, James Triantos, I still can't remember what, um, if, if the draft picks do well, the Cubs will be fine. Drew Gray, Christian Franklin. Parker Shavers, they don't have to necessarily make Major League Ball. Let's use Parker Shavers as an example. Parker Shavers, legitimate center fielder, played center field very well at Coastal Carolina. If the professional baseball season was going to be starting for five months, in three weeks, Parker Shavers would probably be slotted at Myrtle Beach to start. But all the other, the four teams, Myrtle Beach, South Bend, Tennessee, and South, uh, and Iowa, they've already started their seasons. They already have guys that are in there playing every day and, you know, rotating and all that kind of stuff. And the Cubs only have 180 spots. So, Parker Shavers, if over the next, let's say, two or three years, pushes through and by 2024 is effective in double A. Effective in double A. Other teams, other organizations, other fan bases are saying, Parker Shavers, that dude's good. 
They got him. One, two, three, four, five, six. They got him in the seventh round. How did they get him in the seventh round? He's playing really well. And the Cubs look at Parker Shavers, and they look at Brennan Davis, and they look at Christian Franklin, and they look at some of the other guys. They assess which guys do we believe in long-term at the major league level. Perhaps, 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 perhaps. Parker Shavers is the kind of guy, in this hypothetical example, he gets to double A by 2024. He's doing fairly well there. But for whatever reason, the Cubs don't think he's going to be a major league guy. But other teams want him. Other teams want him, but the Cubs are thinking, you know what? This is a guy we can trade. This is a guy we can trade. That is one of the reasons for having minor league players developing. Some players will be developing and doing just fine, doing well enough, and doing, I want to see this guy keep playing. However, other teams value him more than the Cubs would. It happens. Cubs have a strength at the position that he's playing. Or maybe there's something that they're, the Cubs see that other teams aren't. Developing players long-term is how teams become long-term viable. Not just one guy, not just two guys, not just three guys, but it's not going to be all of them. Develop enough internally through the draft, through international signings, through the DFA wire, through trades, through everything, so that most of the questions are answered internally. If most of the questions are answered internally, the Cubs don't have to go gaga crazy in free agency. And that best happens if they can maximize return in the draft, as well as other things. The draft matters, even though you've probably never listened to a game that Christian Franklin has played in, even though I've never seen a game or heard a game that James Triantos has played in or Drew Gray. I've listened to Jordan Wicks a little bit, and I was impressed with what I heard. I didn't have him pegged as the Cubs' first-round draft pick, but I'm totally good with it. Developing through the draft, developing internationally, is huge in baseball. To maximize value in the draft... Sometimes teams do screwy things like offer their sixth-round draft pick a $1,000 signing bonus. And some people think it's because the team is being cheap. It's not because the team is being cheap. It's because the team has to have a strategy to get the players they actually want. And for the Cubs to get the three players that they wanted at the top of the draft, 
two of which were preps, one of which was a high school prep, uh, one of which was a high school pitcher, one of which was a high school hitter, to get the upside of those two players in the Cubs' top three, along with Jordan Wicks, who was in the Cubs' top ten, they had to make some concessions later. And they did, and those concessions drive some people nutty. You're only allowed a certain amount to spend. Is the system ideal? No. Is what the Cubs did gaming the system? Why, of course it is. To get the best possible from a draft, sometimes screwy things have to be done, and the Cubs did some screwy things. Will they necessarily work out? Not necessarily. Is it possible that they were fantastic gambles? It's possible. We shall find out. And I, for one, look forward to Jordan Wicks, James Triantos, Drew Gray, Christian Franklin, Liam Spence, Riley Martin, Parker Shavers, and the rest making it to full season ball. So I can hear stories about them. So I can share stories about them with you. So you can be more aware of players like Riley Martin and Peter Matt. Who signed for a combined signing bonus of $6,000 between them. It's not that the Cubs were being jerks. It's that the Cubs had a strategy. And they wanted to get the maximum value out of their draft. That they could, knowing they were getting one pick per round and drafting 21st. There you go. Thanks for stopping by. Be safe. Be nice to others. And have a great tomorrow.